Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode, oh my, drumroll, 399. We are on the precipice of another milestone of the Her Podcast, where you're going to hear the naked truth about, well, her mind, her body, her life, and today her, hmm, marital role? Hmm, okay, you know how I absolutely love compelling, provocative topics. Boy, we got one for you today. Hey, listen, before we start in, just know that this episode is made possible by our terrific friends at Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y, Vitamins. And most importantly, women out there, you, you think you're getting all your vitamins from your food? Look at your food every day. Come on, let's let's fess up. It's not always kind of the best of all best. And so we like to fill in the gaps. And I really recommend the liposomal multivitamin just to kind of, you know, we got your back, you know, for those little gaps in your little minerals and vitamins throughout the day. Learn more, just run on over to solaray.com. And here's your first reminder to click on iTunes after this episode to rate and review the show because we love your feedback. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind. Her body. Her life. It's all about Her. So I'm reading a compelling article I just saw the other day in the Wall Street Journal, and oh my goodness, in praise of traditional marital roles. Okay, after picking myself up off the floor, after reading this, I said, you know something, this is a topic we need to talk about, especially in this crazy-ass day and age. Our expert guest today is Erica Commissar. Now, Erica is a clinical social worker, psychoanalyst, parent coach, and author. She's got over 30 years of experience in private practice, and you know what's really great about this is she really loves exploring how people can live better lives, have richer, more satisfying relationships, and then assisting them in achieving their goals. And you know what I love is is really taking an expert like this and digging down into this whole issue of traditional marital roles. Hey, Erica, welcome to the Her Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. Why did you write about this in the first place? What what kind of got your goat on this one? Well, I mean, I think you said it. You don't write an op-ed um, unless something gets your goat. So, and in this case, it was that I was seeing um, something in my practice over and over again. And it was a dynamic in relationships that no one was talking about, that it wasn't mentionable. And I don't know if you know, but Fred Rogers said, what is mentionable is manageable. And so no one was mentioning it. And it's such an important thing that we are not mentioning it. Sort of the big pink elephant in the room, if you will. Huh. Okay. But what in particular was kind of grabbing you on this? What was the edge, the sharp edge on this one? Well, well, so there's something called role reversal stress. And again, it was named that by a colleague of mine, but um, it, it basically is the concept of, you know, in in marriages, we've switched, in many cases, switched roles. You know, uh, women are 
taking on the traditionally masculine roles and men are taking on the traditionally feminine roles. And, you know, I was curious about what was happening in marriages as a result. And in my practice, I do a lot of couples therapy and also individual therapy and parent guidance. And, and you know, so, and I believe that there was a new statistic that just came out that more men are staying home with children now than ever. Um, and so, you know, the question is, what is it doing to marriage? How is it impacting marriage? And in my practice, I was seeing that um, the way it was impacting marriage is that um, there was more infidelity, more divorce, more conflict over, not immediately, but eventually uh, around this role reversal stress. And um, yeah, so that's why I wrote about it, because not that it wasn't, uh, in a way, judging it one way or another. Um, although the title suggests that I don't give these pieces a title, you know, um, but it wasn't to judge it. It was to mention it, to talk about it. Um, and the fact that we can manage this, but we can't manage it if we don't talk about it. Wow. This is such a hot topic, especially today. So, you know, you've got Gen Z rolling through the system. They're not getting married a whole lot. The last time I looked, there's a whole lot of partnering going on, whatever that's supposed to mean anyway. Um, and with a look to the future, like what is the purpose of marriage, it, you know, let alone traditional marital roles and everything. The way I'm kind of looking at this now, tell me if I'm wrong, you're the expert. Is, is this kind of a generational thing? So if you look at the millennials, um, I think that they're kind of teetering between two worlds of traditional and non-traditional. And then uh, the, the Gen Xs, and then clearly the boomers are a lost cause. No, just kidding. I'm just playing around here. Um, so what do you think of that generational bias? Well, there was a study done about millennials that millennials are going back to the traditional relationship roles uh, more than ever before because something isn't working. And, you know, when I say marriage, please understand that I mean relationships, because whether, you know, relationships, particularly relationships in which you're, you know, in which you're raising children, uh, you can raise children without being married. You know, people are raising children together without being married. Um, but the idea is that traditional roles meant that somebody was home taking care of the children, thank goodness, um, and somebody was out not taking care of the children. And so what's happening is, uh, you know, I, I wrote a book called Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters about the neuroscience of attachment and why it's critical that the, a child have a primary attachment figure as much as possible home with them in the first three years. And, you know, we know that a lot of men are providing that role now rather than women. Um, and so really the article is, not so much about marriage, but about relationships in which two people get together to raise children. Um, and, you know, we could say in most cases that's marriage, but not all cases. And what the research shows is that something is not working and that there's a regression to the old uh, traditional roles because whatever we, you know, however far we've gone in the extremes may not be working. Um, and it, in terms of not working, how do you define it? not working? So it, it's not working because it impacts the sustainability of the relationship. It impacts whether um, 
whether there is fidelity in the relationship and whether there is an active sex life in that relationship. And it is impacting, according to the research, it is impacting relationships. So, so Erica, you know, there's just so many changes going on. So many narratives being created, redefined. Then there's a lot of circle backs too, you know, to your point about traditional marital roles. Um, how is it possible to go back to, as it were, a traditional marital role when maybe you don't know what that is? You know what I mean? Um, especially with the young generations whose parents may have been redefining their own roles as they went along too. So after a while, doesn't it kind of get diffused? And uh, what is it anymore? What do you think? Well, I don't think it's only sociological. I, I think some of this is biological. And, and I was about to say that, you know, the, there's an inverse relationship between testosterone and oxytocin. And that means that, you know, so oxytocin is, is produced by women when they give birth, when they breastfeed, and when they nurture their young. And it's the love hormone, it's the attachment hormone. And it's the hormone that makes mothers sensitive, empathic nurturers, or to lean into the distress, uh, lean into soothing their children when in distress. And we know that fathers can produce it if the fathers are the primary attachment figures, meaning if the fathers stay home. Uh, the issue is that um, it doesn't tend to make fathers more sensitive, empathic nurturers. It tends to make them more uh, fatherly and nurturing and bring out behaviors like playful tactile stimulation with children. So, you know, our hormones are, are tied to different things. And what we know is that when when fathers stay home and nurture their young, their oxytocin levels do go up. And as a result, their testosterone goes down. And so what that means is they're going to have less of a libido. They're going to have less of a sex drive with the wives who come home, you know, honey, I'm home. And that's what's happening. There, it, it, is, it, it is biological emasculation. It's not just sociological. I think that's where we get it wrong. This is not just a sociological phenomenon. We can flip this around and fathers can stay home and mothers can go out to work. But the feeling of feeling emasculated, the feeling of, so there's another hormone, hormone called vasopressin. It's called the protective aggressive hormone, which is produced, which is also tied to testosterone. and what we know is that that desire to protect your family in the outside world from predators, to, to be in control of the protection role, um, is being taken away from men, and it's leaving them feeling very lost. And so in the marriages that I treat, those men are looking for that role outside of their marriage with other women. Huh. And I will say that if women are out in the world producing a lot of testosterone. And what, what hasn't been done and needs to be done is more research on when women go out into the world and behave like men, do they produce more testosterone? And the initial research says yes. So when women produce more testosterone, how does it affect their sex drive? How does it affect their desire to have sex? And, you know, do they want to have sex with the men that they come home to who are more feminine? So, you know, we are literally flipping around a sociological system, but we're also trying to, in, in, a, in a period of 50 years, flip around an evolutionary biological system that has been working for thousands of years and has made us who we are biologically. So this is not just a sociological phenomenon. 
Wow. Okay. When you wrote this this article um, in the Wall Street Journal, um, which I just found so compelling, you said, how should society understand and address role reversal stress? I love that, that whole phrase. It's neither possible nor desirable to revert to a world in which women lack choices and men don't respect women's accomplishments and ambition. For the best outcome, we must openly discuss the benefits and risks of emasculating men while empowering women and find a harmonious balance. And then this is kind of cool. You said the most successful couples I have treated are the ones in which the spouses aren't afraid of embracing both the differences between and the equality of the sexes. It's crucial for couples to respect each other's unique abilities and pay attention to the power balance in the marriage. Wow, that's a mouthful. Um, Expound on that a little bit. You know, when when I... kept rereading this and I said, boy, do do couples need help doing this? Because in this day and age, it just seems like, whoa, it's, that's a, that's a big challenge to keep that kind of a discussion going. Well, they do need help, which is why people like me are busier than ever. It's not just because of COVID. I mean, we're, we're busy because there's more depression and anxiety, but we're also busy because the divorce rates are higher than ever. And the ability for couples to work through their conflicts on their own is 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 very minimal. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, I would say that that couples do need help with this, which is why I wrote about it, because I felt like no one is talking about this because it's not politically correct to talk about this dynamic, but it's happening, meaning you should be able to talk about things that are factual, that are actually happening, even if it is politically incorrect to do so. And so, right, that's why I wrote this article, because it is happening. Men are feeling emasculated by their women who go out and are out in the world and making lots of money. And then those women come home and those men feel more feminine and it's affecting how they feel in that role. I mean, what you're essentially asking is that they switch roles during the day and then when their wives come home, they switch back. That's essentially what you're asking, because for a man to get a, an erection, he has to feel, there has to be a feeling of feeling in the masculine role. His, his physiology is tied to testosterone and is tied to a feeling, feeling in the masculine role. So you're asking for the ability for men to just switch, switch, switch. And for some, it's possible. And for others, it's not possible. And also then it brings into question the sensitivity in relationships, that really what we need to be is very sensitive to this issue. So when women come home and they are making more money and they are the ones out in the world and the husband is at home with the children, that she allows for that transition to happen. It's not so easy to go from being the boss when you're outside in the world, in the, in the business world, and coming home and then, um, you know, switching back to a feminine role. But if you can't do that, then you are emasculating your husband because then he never gets to be in that masculine role. So it's complicated. And, for, and the same for women. If they never are allowed to or allow themselves to be in a more feminine place, 
how can they be receptive in a sexual relationship? Where does that, ha- how does that happen? Hmm. Yeah, the more I think about it, it, it just seems like, again, it, this is a very thoughtful process. And that I would imagine that, you know, men and women in whatever kind of partnerships they have, you know, they, uh, they have to be really aware and mindful of all of this. You know, they have to see it as sort of front and center. And so that as they proceed in their lives, um, you know, uh, with that partner, um, they have to be acutely aware that when they do, you know, cross over that threshold at home, um, what's going to be waiting for them? And are they prepared in their own role um, to be, you know, male or, you know, however, you know, more masculine, more feminine, however that, that works out. And to your point, I think you bring up one of the most important points of all, and that is that this isn't just a sociological phenomenon that's taking place. This is affecting uh, biology um, and physiology. And in doing so, um, this very directly affects the, the couple's ability to be able to be sexual together, to be able to um, take on roles um, and to the point of, of this whole you know episode, more as it were traditional marital roles. You know, as, as I'm talking about this, I, I've heard you say now several times, you know, but people don't want to talk about this. This is something that we don't you know, talk about. Why aren't we? What is the fear? Well, there is a fear. I think there's a fear in relationships that if you mention something, it makes it less manageable. And in fact, when you mention it, it makes it more manageable. So if you check in frequently, I don't think couples do check in frequently with one another. I think they go about their lives almost in a in a fog and assume, you know, what do they say about assuming it makes an ass of you and me, right? They assume that everything's fine, um, that they made this agreement, that they signed this contract when they got married. Uh, I'm going to go out to work, the woman says, and make the money because I have the higher paying job and you're going to stay home and raise the children uh, because you have the lower paying, less interesting job. Okay, so they make this deal. They sign the contract and then they say, right, now we can stick the contract in the drawer (laughs) and lock the drawer. Um, But that's not the way relationships work. I mean, whether or not you're suffering from role reversal stress, you always need to be checking in and reviewing and evaluating your relationship. That's part of being in an intimate relationship. And part of that is the roles that you play. How are we doing? Is this working? Is it good for you? Um, Do you feel sexually attracted to me still? Do I feel sexually attracted to you? Are you happy? Is this satisfying for you to be home? Is it satisfying for you to be out in the world and not be home with the children? you know, these are questions that couples don't ask because they're afraid to ask them. Uh, and they assume that if they just don't talk about them and they put them in the drawer, they'll go away. But they don't go away. They intensify. And these conflicts come up at a time when, you know, they've accumulated. The, the intensity is accumulated. And then it leads to things like acting out. And infidelity is acting out. It's acting out. It's instead of going to your wife or to your husband and saying, I'm unhappy. 
I'm not sexually attracted to you. Something's wrong in our marriage, and therefore I feel drawn to the outside world, not to the inside world of our relationship. Um, you know, when you do that, you can often correct whatever conflict you have. So it brings two people closer together rather than farther apart. Acting out is not talking about things. It literally comes from uh, childhood. You know, children act out when they don't have words to describe what they're feeling and the, and the dynamics of what they're feeling. But as adults, we need to do better. We need to be able to use our words and bring it back to the relationship and do check-ins and talk about these issues. It's the only way that couples, you know, will work, work through conflicts, but also not act out those conflicts. Because ultimately, if you don't, then it ends up in divorce. And then the individuals in the relationship are left scratching their heads going, I just don't know what happened. It was all so good. And the answer is, it wasn't all so good, but it wasn't talked about. Yeah, and, and all I was simply going to say was that, you know, I'm a firm believer that, um, you know, the glue in relationships, this is true of any relationship, but especially of an intimate relationship, is, is communication. And, and you've got to be able to communicate in a way where you actually listen this isn't like talking at someone. This is actually, you know, listening in intensely and intently so that you don't miss something. I love reflective listening so that after someone says something, um, then the person who's been listening has to say it back to the other person, which really shows two things. One is, well, actually, it results in two things, at least. One is that you were listening, um, and that you, you, even if you didn't agree with something, you, you were able to note that you got all those facts down, okay? And the other one is, sometimes by saying something out loud that maybe wasn't, uh, that you weren't aware of or didn't even agree with, um, changes you somehow because it's coming out of your mouth now. And maybe it, 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 you hit a pause button and, and think to yourself, well, maybe this really requires more discussion and I'd like to learn more. So the communication piece of this, this is something you hammer home very, very well. Um, I, I think is absolutely the monster glue here and throwing it in the drawer, as you noted, doesn't help. And you also quoted statistics um, and some thoughts. And that is that um, there was a University of Connecticut um, researcher who found that husbands who are economically dependent on their wives have a greater propensity to be unfaithful. That speaks to a point you just made. Um, that Harvard um, sociologist found that if a husband is employed full-time, the couple has a 2.5% chance of splitting up in the next year. If he isn't, the likelihood of divorce rises to 3.3%. Hmm. And so those stats, I think, are, are extremely important. But here's the one that really grabbed me, and I immediately reached out to you. And this is from uh, toward the end of uh, this marvelous article in the Wall Street Journal, which is called In Praise of Traditional Marital Roles. Men need to be men, and women shouldn't fear taking on traditional nurturing roles, which needn't threaten their careers. 
The best marriages are those in which couples are honest about their feelings rather than prone to make assumptions. By the way, I love that assume to the make an ass of you and me. To make assumptions and learn they're mistaken after it's too late. There, there, we go back to communication, right, Erica? Yeah, no, communication is critical. I mean, I, listen, I, I think that um, it, it is about talking about it, but it's also about, I, I mean, this is at least what I'm finding in my practice, that couples are much too fixed on material um, success and material, yeah. And so what happens is, they, well, so they, they value their material more than they do the relationship. So, and I'll tell you how that impacts this idea, which is that if you, if you tell your uh, wife, if you're a husband who's a stay-at-home dad and you tell your wife, I'm really unhappy, I'm feeling, I'm not attracted to you, I'm, I find myself resentful of you, I need to go back out to work, but our children, I don't want to put our children in daycare because it's not good for them. And we did, you know, commit to one another that we would value our children above all. And so it's your turn to stay home. And I have a job that earns less money. So we're going to have to cut back on our, our material life. Um, but that will help our relationship. And so what happens is it ends up being the person who, quote unquote, makes the most money that goes out. And often now it's the woman. But if you can't sacrifice something, uh, at least alternate. So the couples that I see that do successfully manage this role reversal stress, they alternate. They take a couple of years being the one out in the world, and then they come back and take care of the children. And then the other spouse goes out into the world for a couple of years you know, a couple of years or more. But the idea is that you have to listen to your spouse. If your spouse is unhappy, you have to be willing to take steps. And those are real steps to step back from whatever material success you have to really focus on relationship and family issues. And so, and that's really hard for people to do today because no one wants to sacrifice their material success. And that's a problem. Because if relationships don't come first, before work, before material success, then Houston, we have a problem. And that's also what causes a lot of these couples to go into a state of denial and not talk about these issues. Because the ultimate goal of talking about it would be to do something about it. Yeah, but that's probably one of the most important things you've said. And that is that it's all fine and dandy to have all the discussions you want to but you need action steps, you need a strategy, a bit of a blueprint, um, and that involves experimenting. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think, you know, to your point about the, the whole issue of, uh, you know, um, material wealth and um, success and rewards, Look around us, Erica. Jeez, um, every ad, so many, you know, titles of magazine articles and, and back and forth are all about the glitz and the bling of all the great things that happen when you and I quote make it. And you know, there's not a whole lot about hey, pull back and and you know, rethink this a little bit and uh, quit running after bling. It would be lovely if we saw more of that. Do you think that's possible? I mean, it's it 
it, it's really kind of pushing a rock up a hill right now because I think society focuses on the wrong things. I mean, I write books about the critical nature of children, you know, having an, an attachment figure at home as much as possible in the first three years. And that is countercultural right now because of, you know, the, the, the drive. Everyone wants to be out in the world you know, being successful in the outside world, and no one wants to be with their children. And so they're delegating the care of their children to others rather than the most important role they'll ever have in their whole lives is caring for their children uh, and making sure that their children are emotionally and mentally healthy based on those early years. And no one wants to sacrifice their careers to stay home with their children because it's a sacrifice. So it is sort of a counterculture thing. Um, obviously, this article is too, uh, and it's it's not meant to be a, um, you know, it's it's not meant to proselytize anything. It's just meant to say, you know, we have a problem here, and if we don't talk about our problems, they're going to be they're going to be worse problems in the long run. Well, there's going to be fallout, and and you note this. So that last uh, paragraph in this article, it's a moral victory that women now have the opportunity to be breadwinners. But this cultural progress comes with psychological distress that is worth understanding for the benefit of men, women, and children. I mean, you know, that's the truth. And I, it, you, you can't have expected or assumed that with all of this cultural upheaval, all of these changes that have taken place, that there wouldn't be some kind of residual, you know, what are the consequences? You know, what is that fallout? And we weren't, you know, when you do, when when this happens, there, there's a need to hit the pause button and go, whoa, wait a minute now, which direction are we going in now? And and what what's the price we're paying and is there a way to be able to turn this into more of a, you know, win-win? And I mean that a bit euphemistically. I, I really mean to say that there's no reason why um, everyone can't benefit. But I don't really think that you can benefit at all if you're just riffing through the system and you're throwing things into under the, the carpet and in, you know, drawers without talking about it, you know, just tiny little steps may help tremendously. You never know. You know, I, if I knew how many couples, I bet, I mean, you're the expert, who don't have date night, who don't have, you know, some, some sacred time. Some of the most successful couples I've ever worked with are people who literally carve out time and give hell or high water. They are there for their partner. They're just going to, you know, be there. When I say there, I mean they are mindfully present. I'm going to listen. We're going to have fun. We're going to talk about serious things. Whatever the issue may be, it's just an amazement to me how many couples are just sort of rolling through the system. Like, you know, they can't hop off their gerbil wheels. Do I have that right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree with what you said. Yeah, yeah. It well, listen. Um, in in the last minute or two, as we're pulling all this together, give us some hope here. Cried out loud. <laughs> you know what's what's your gut feeling? 
Uh, well, I, I suppose the hope is that, um, you know, when you talk about these issues, there is a lashback. Uh, you could say even a defensive one, because people then are forced to even defensively think about these things. Um, so, you know, as a psychoanalyst, I'm used to conflict. So I don't mind introducing the idea of conflict, even if the result is that the the anger is then projected onto me. But the, the concept is, again, what's mentionable is then mentionable. If I mention it in an article, then it's mentionable in a relationship. And then a couple has to talk about it. So the hope is that we, you know, in effect, even the negative responses to my article for me are hopeful because it means that couples are forced to think about it. Individuals are forced to think about these issues. Huh. When you say negative to this article, you know, give, give us an example. I'm dying to know. Like, what did people say when you published this? <laughs> oh, oh, you know, all the pieces I write have some angle of really asking for sacrifice on some level. And it's hard for people today, it's particularly hard for young people, but hard for everyone. We're, we're in a very, I don't, I should say, self-determined, um, self-focused society. So it, it, usually the, the articles that I write get a lot of, um, you know, lashback and, and a lot of, you know, uh, anger and aggression. And this one was no different. Um, but again, I don't see that as a lack of success. I see it as a success because any controversy that you can create over this where people are talking about it means people are talking about it. The hope is in 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 us starting to have a conversation about it. That's what I that's what I took away from this, and I congratulate you for your you know wonderful courage um, in bringing up so much of this and your years and years of experience speak for themselves. Because what happens is, you know, when you say something and you have had God knows how many couples sitting in front of you. And you can derive, you know, truth from what you've seen. You've got street creds, Erica. You know, I'm going to believe you. And I'm going to, you know, I, I hope um, that when people read um, some of these pieces that you've done, that they, that they just take a moment, you know, sit down and, and be still with it for a minute and say, you know, how does this really relate to my experience in my relationships? You know, how, do, how does that work? That's all you can really ask for. Just take a moment and be more aware and maybe begin a dialogue. You just never know what's going to be on the other end of that dialogue. Maybe someone will be so relieved you brought it up and that, you know, they, they feel like they've been bottling it up forever. Maybe this will be a wonderful relief. So to that end, Erica, um, I just can't thank you enough for being on the, her podcast because I know that so many of us really wanted to hear this. Um, and, and I think you did a, a masterful job of explaining it to everyone. And kudos for you for helping so many people through this because, as you said yourself, it's complicated. <laughs> Oh, my goodness gracious. So everyone out there, we've been talking to um, Erica Komisar, and uh, she is an expert psychoanalyst um, and author who really understands how to be able to communicate through her work 
um, on so many of the tougher issues that are now facing couples. And today we talked about in praise of traditional marital roles. Erica, thanks once again for being on the Her Podcast. Thanks for having me. All right. And everyone out there, please take a minute now. Hit iTunes, rate, and review the show. Um, I really want to hear from you because I'm Dr. Pam Peek, host of the Herb Podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And remember to catch every single episode of the Herb Podcast on iTunes, Radio MD, and all of the major platforms. Hey, thanks for listening today, and please stay well.